to help us understand our passage a little bit better, we need to go back a few verses to set the stage. Uh, this is the story of Zacharias and his wife Elizabeth, and they lived in the hill country uh, outside of Jerusalem in Judah. And he was a priest, and as part of his priestly duties, he was responsible once a year, sometimes twice a year, to go up to Jerusalem to serve in the temple. And so this was a very special time, and really it was a special couple. Um, in Luke 1 and 6, it describes this couple, uh, they were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and the requirements of the Lord. One other thing that's important to know about Zacharias and Elizabeth is that they were unable to have children. And that was considered in this particular time and culture, it was a great curse. And it was something that caused them much, much anguish. Well, while serving in Jerusalem in the temple, Zacharias is chosen to go a little bit deeper into the temple and light the incense. And it was a great honor. It was the highlight of his year just to go into the temple. But this was an even greater honor as he was selected to go and light these incense deep within the temple. He had to go alone. And it was such, in fact, such a great honor that you were only able to do this one time in your entire life. And Zacharias was chosen at this season. So you can imagine how high his excitement was to be chosen and fulfill this. It was already incredibly exciting when Gabriel, an angel of the Lord, appears to him. And Gabriel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and give him the name John. Now we know this to be John the baptizer or John the Baptist. Gabriel goes on to explain that John is going to be incredibly special. He's going to be a forerunner. He's going to be a messenger of the long-awaited Messiah. Now can you imagine, you sitting here today, can you imagine if you received such news? How incredibly exciting that would be. And Gabriel goes on and he says, your son, John, that you never thought you would have, John is going to lead the hearts of many people back to our holy God. Now think about that, serving in the temple, going in and seeing Gabriel. Well, that's almost too much for anybody. Even Zacharias, as good a man as he was, he shows some doubt and he says, how how will I know this for certain? And it seems like he was kind of asking for a sign. He was asking a way of confirming this incredible news. And so Gabriel affirms the good news, but he also says, because you did not believe my words, you will be unable to speak until the birth of your son. For nine long months, not one word. Just think about it now. For we who talk so easily, if someone told you that you were not going to be able to speak from now until next September, think about that. Now put yourself in the sandals of Zacharias for a moment. He's not going to be able to say one word as he sees Elizabeth's stomach grow, as he sees his unborn child, as, as he can't describe the way that Gabriel spoke to him. He can't communicate to anyone how their son is going to be a messenger of the coming Messiah for nine 
months, nothing. And even when his son is born, he cannot speak as Elizabeth is having the child, or he can't hold his son tenderly and whisper words of love. And finally, on the eighth day, the child was taken to be circumcised and dedicated to the Lord, and mother and father are both asked, what shall the child's name be? And everyone expects his name to be Zacharias, but Zacharias, he writes on a tablet, his name is John, in accordance with what Gabriel had spoken to him. And immediately, as soon as he writes that on the tablet, this this act of faith is like a trigger. His obedience releases his tongue, and he can speak. After nine months of not being able to say anything, can you imagine what would you say at such a moment? What words would just explode out of your mouth after nine months of guilt about showing such little faith, about sorrow for that, about your lack of faith, but also your excitement? What will be his first words after nine months? This is our scripture passage for the day. His first words are, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy toward our fathers and to remember his holy covenant the oath which he swore to Abraham our father to grant us that we are being rescued from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness, righteousness before him all our days. And then he seems to transition from this explosion to look down at his precious son and he says, and you, child, will be the, called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give to his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, with which the sunrise from on high will visit us to shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Would you pray with me? Holy Father, oh God, our Lord, we thank you so much for the wonderful privilege to come into your house to raise up powerful songs of praise, Father, to join our hearts together and come into your presence. Forgive us for any way that we have sinned against you, that we have fallen short. Erase us so that there might be no barrier between because we desire for our praises and worship to raise to the heights of heaven. And we desire in in this moment that we would feel the power and the presence of your Holy Spirit. For this purpose we were created. Be with us through the holy words of Scripture and live in our hearts so that we might live fully for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The first words after nine months, I kind of imagine them just exploding 
out of his mouth like water after a burst dam. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. In other words, thank the Lord and praise the Lord and the Lord is good, all rolled into one. Bless the Lord, God of Israel. And again, for the first half of this, he gives the very reasons why he is so full of praise and worship. And I want to remind you, I want to draw to your attention today. Are you with me so far? Just say, amen. I want to remind you today that the very reasons that Zechariah was able to lift his voice and be so full of praise are the very same reasons that you and I can raise our voices today. So as we go through, as we look at those reasons that Zechariah is, is so full of praise, I want you to hold that up to your own life so that you too may just explode with praise today. Wouldn't that be wonderful? The first thing that Zechariah says, number one thing he says is, we are redeemed. Luke 1, 68, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people. In Greek, the word visit means to go to see the, the person on the basis of a friendship. In other words, the Lord God has come to you as a friend. It says, in Greek, it says, with helpful intent. He has come with helpful intent to be our friend. And when you think about that, when you think about the words of John 15, 15, I no longer call you slaves, said Jesus to us today, but I call you what? I call you friends. And who are we that God would be mindful of us? And who are we that God would call us his friends? Well, it's only possible through this Christ child, through the one who redeems us. Now, redeems is not a word that we kind of use very often. And it kind of reminds me of a, of a to help us understand of kind of redeeming. It means like if we went into a pawn shop today, and you went into that pawn shop today because you know that you're just not making it. And you're going to have to sell something that's precious to you just to kind of survive. Maybe it's something that's been passed down through the generations. Maybe it's you know, daddy's pocket watch that's been passed down through multiple generations. And you hate to give it up, but you can't make it. You know it. And so maybe with a tear in your eye, you go up to that counter, you set it down. And that man, he gives you a, a piece of paper so that you can come back and redeem it. You turn around, but you know in your heart that you're never going to have the money to come back and get that. That thing that's most precious to you. You know that there's no way, and just about when you're to walk out the door, another man walks in, and he says what? I'll redeem that for him. Oh, the the owner of the shop, he says, there's no way, sir. There's no way you can do it. This is terribly expensive. It's more expensive than anything you've got. He goes, I know what the cost is. And my friend, oh, Lord God, my friend is more precious to me. Redeemed. He knew the cost. What was the cost? It's not... Gold. 1 Peter 1.8 says this, For you know that it was not perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you by your forefathers, 
but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. You and I have been redeemed. Praise God. Zechariah, secondly, he says that God has raised a horn of salvation. Raised a horn? That doesn't make any sense to us in our culture, does it? When I'm out in Colorado, that, that's the state animal out there, the bighorn sheep, you know? And just to help us understand a little bit, he's raised up a horn. Have you ever seen those mighty sheep? Man, they're just all muscle. They are just all muscle. But the thing that's most impressive about them is what? Is those massive horns. And have you ever seen them where they just, they just run at each other and bam! And the noise just echoes off the canyon walls. You know, the, the massive horns smashing together. And it represents what? It represents power. It represents strength. And the Holy Spirit through Zacharias is saying he has raised a horn a horn of salvation for you, the strength and power. Doesn't make sense to the rest of the world, but we understand the Christ child, a horn of strength. He declares the coming child will bring salvation from your enemies. And, and you know what? As, as we think about it, we might think, well, Zacharias, he was probably thinking about those old Romans and how at every turn those Romans were making life miserable. But we know we know that the enemy was greater than Zacharias could ever imagine because this child would bring salvation and he would bring peace, peace from death. We don't have to be afraid of death. Peace from sin. We, we've been cleansed and purified by the blood of Jesus Christ. We don't have to be afraid of Satan. Zacharias may have been thinking of Psalm 132. It says, therefore I will raise the horn of David. There it is. To spring forth, I prepared a lamp for mine anointed. His enemies I will clothe with shame, but upon himself his crown shall shine. Zacharias sings this song. He says, he has shown us unmerited grace. That's you and me. That's you and me. Just say amen. You still here? Amen. amen. All right. He has shown us unmerited grace. That means we didn't deserve it. We couldn't earn it. And yet he has just lavished it upon us. He's poured it all out through this one that would come. And he has remembered his promise. That's what Zechariah said. He has remembered his promise. He's probably thinking back to the promise of Abraham, God to Abraham. Genesis 22. Indeed, I will greatly bless you. That's you. I will multiply your seed in all the stars in the heavens as the sand which is on the seashore and your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. You say, it's Old Testament. That's a promise to the Jews. The scripture says, the, the New Testament says that you have been grafted in and all of the promises of Abraham are now upon you. Why? Because of this Christ child who we come to celebrate, we come to worship Today In verse 74, Zechariah explains why all these things will occur. This is the why. So far, this is what has happened. This is what has happened. Now he says, this is why. Luke 174. So that we might serve him without fear. In holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. 
Could you say those words? Without fear. Say that. Say that. One more time. Without fear. Fear is miserable. Fear is a spirit killer. And you and I don't have to be afraid. Because Christ has accomplished the victory and we are victorious in him. Somebody say, amen. We are victorious in him. I need to be afraid of death? No. Because I know if I die today, that this very same day I'll be in the presence of King Jesus. Amen? That is not a loss, but a great victory. I don't have to be afraid of sin. The scripture said, for the wage of sin is death. Oh my. Death. No, I don't have to be afraid because the scripture continues that the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Amen. Somebody better just get happy in here today because you are victorious. Fear of Satan? No. Satan is on his last legs and he'll ultimately be thrown into the pit. What is left? What is left if all of our fears are taken away? The only thing left is to serve him in peace, without fear, in holiness and righteousness all of our days. What is left? Hope, joy, peace, and love, all of the gifts of Advent. That's what's left. Are we the most blessed of all people? You know what the problem is? I'll just tell you, I'm going off script. I'm just telling you right now. You know what the problem is? We don't believe it. We don't act like it. Christ is victorious, amen? amen. Then why would we ever live in fear? You know, I was just going to tell the choir later on today because it's going to be a long day. And sometimes, you know, we think, man, I got two more performances. It's not a performance. It's a worship event. You know, we start thinking about that. How are we going to make it, Scott? I don't know. I don't know. You know how? Because God has promised he's going to make all things work together in our life. And you know what I'm tired of? I'm tired of looking backwards and saying, well, that, after all, I was all worried and everything, and now he just, he just made all that work together for good. What a thing. I'm tired of looking backwards. I'm tired of my friends and my brothers and sisters living in fear before an event and then looking backwards and saying, praise God, I guess he made it all work. What we want to do right now is just say, up front, he's going to make everything work out in advance. I'm just going to let him be God, and I'm not going to be. He's in control of all things. He's promised good to me. And so I'm just going to live in peace right now. Listen, I'm sitting some uh, amens up front. The back pews are not carrying their weight. So come on. Somebody's got to get happy today because of the peace, the victory of Jesus Christ, who we worship today. And all of those words just bubble up into Zacharias. All of them just free fall tumble out of his mouth, up from his heart. After nine months, what else could you do? What else would you expect? But I just wonder, do we have that same profound experience that same profound thanksgiving in our hearts? Man, you are the blessed of, mo of all people. Can't we just say these words together? I'm going to say them, and then I'll say if you can. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. Just try it now. No, not you, not you, not you. Here we go, this side over here. Are you ready? Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. One, two, three. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. Oh, they did good. You think you can keep up? Beth, you ready? Here we go. On three, one, two, three. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. Now, all together, and this time, it's from your heart to God's ears. What do you say? On three. One, two, three. Blessed be the Lord God 
of Israel. Praise God. Oh. The second half of the passage, he transitions. He lifts his eyes up in the first half, but the second half, he just looks down at that baby. Can you imagine? I, I know you can, Rebecca. I know you can. Just holding that little precious child. And he says, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give his people the knowledge of salvation. Can you imagine saying that to your child? Can you imagine being the messenger, being called by God, tenderly speaking to his Zacharias, tells John, he says, here's the purpose of your life. Here's your identity. He says, listen, your purpose, get this, this is important now. He looks down at John and he says, your purpose, your identity, and your calling are all inextricably linked only to Jesus Christ. You get that? This little child, he looks down into his little precious face. John, your calling, your purpose are completely and only linked to Jesus. Can you imagine being the recipient of such a message? Can you imagine, Carolyn, can you imagine being told that, that you have a key role in the redemption story? Can you imagine? I hope you can. Because you have received the same calling. Every one of you. Identity, purpose, and calling all inextricably linked to Jesus Christ and him alone. A couple weeks ago, Mary did a wonderful job with our Lottie Moon study, our mission study, on, uh, on, this, on Wednesday night. And it was, uh, it was great. She, uh, she showed us some wonderful videos. She filled in the blanks. We had a time of prayer for our missionaries. And it was good. But I'll tell you what, Mary, the one that drew my attention the most was the one about the doctor. And I'll tell you what, there was this doctor, and uh, immediately he starts to testify about Jesus. And I'm just thinking, my first thought was, Wow. Kenny, I was kind of thinking about your son studying to be a doctor. And I was just thinking, what an incredible thing that people have the mind. I don't have that. That had the, the fortitude and the mind to become a doctor. To me, that's just top 10% better. But this wasn't just any old doctor, was he? He was a doctor and a flight surgeon at NASA. And so already I'm thinking, doctor, incredible already. I don't think NASA picks anybody that's not top of the field. So now we're like the top 1%. And then he said, and then he said, like, you know, he adds extra time. He said, but I'm also in the astronaut training program so that, um, you know, I can go be a surgeon on the International Space Station. I don't even know what percent that is. And then he said, but then I gave all of that up. 
because I discovered that my identity, my identity was completely wrapped up in my career. Who, who are you? I'm a doctor. I'm studying to be an astronaut. That's who I am. And although that's pretty incredible, he said he had no peace in his life. Until he turned away from all of that to become a doctor and a missionary in Africa. He had no peace in his life because his identity, the very purpose of his creation, had shifted away from Christ into his job, into his profession, as important and valuable as that was. Zacharias says to John, your entire life is tied to the one who will come, Jesus. Your identity, purpose, and calling are all and only in Christ. And you will have a wondrous, incredible mission and ministry. And I believe with everything that I am, the Spirit and the Scriptures say the very same thing to us today. Just as the words were spoken to John, they're spoken to us. For you will go before the Lord to prepare for Christ's imminent return. You, Luke 177, will go to give his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins. Matthew 28, 19. You will go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Identity, purpose, calling, all inextricably and only linked to Jesus Christ alone. And I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, no, that, that can't be right. You know, John was, he was special. He was different. We put him on a pedestal. I, I'm just a, what? Just a child of the king empowered by the spirit and gifted uniquely to build up the kingdom of God? I'm just an old, I don't know, part of this incredible redemption story that's still being written? No, no, I, I'm just an old uh, ambassador for Christ, specifically chosen by God to proclaim the greatness of his glory? Do, do you see yourself in that redemption story? Is your identity and purpose and calling all inextricably linked to Jesus Christ, or has it shifted to something else? So here, so here, beloved, is the purpose of Advent. Luke 168, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has redeemed me and saved me and shown me incredible mercy. The purpose of Advent is to come once again, circle back around to this wonderful Christ event, Christmas, and remember what he has accomplished for you, in you, and the future that we have in him. And in the remembrance, bust out from soul to heart to mouth to hands to feet as we go and proclaim. And here is the purpose of Advent to meditate on his return and to see 
our calling and privilege as part of Christ's plan for his creation. To consider if Christ truly is the center of my identity. And if not, reorient our lives in this wonderful Christmas season so that we too might find peace. Amen? Let's pray. Holy and gracious Father, we thank you. We thank you for your love. We thank you that you loved us so much that you would send your only son. We thank you for this Christmas season, this Advent, that we can come back again to remember and to rejoice, to recharge, to lift our face to heaven and proclaim, yes, Lord, you are God. Blessed be the name of God, the holy God of Israel. Watch over us. Guide our steps. If we have taken our eyes off of you, help us in this moment to reorient our lives to you. We do all of this out of love and thankfulness and obedience. In Jesus' name, amen.